life now and eternal life forever. So in the midst of our bad news, there's some really great news as well. And I want to talk about this morning uh, the significance of the resurrection. First of all, it fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. We, we think of the resurrection as a New Testament thing, and surely that's where it happened after the, the life of Christ, His death on the cross, and then His resurrection. But you know the Old Testament talks about the resurrection as well, and I just want to point out a couple of uh, passages to you. The ancient book of Job, Job 19, Job says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. That means at the end time on the earth, he shall stand. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. So how could Job say that? After my skin is gone, it's in the grave and decayed, after it's gone, I know I'm going to see God in my flesh. Well, because there's a resurrection whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So he enables them to see the Old Testament passages that had to do with this. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So first of all, the significance of the resurrection is that it's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and a reminder to us that God is always faithful to His Word. He brings it about. And as He prophesied this, the resurrection, so He did. The next uh, few points we're going to see from the book of uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, that the resurrection freed us from the power of sin and death. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, meaning this, this corruptible body, this, the body you have that is corruptible, it's dying, decaying. When this corruptible body has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sins. Because we sin, we have the pronouncement of death upon all of us. But, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. And so we have freedom from the the power of sin and death because of His resurrection. And if we were to end here, that would be more than sufficient, wouldn't it? That God was faithful to His Word, that He promised the resurrection, the Messiah would come and not only die, but rise again, and it frees us from death and sin. We could end here and all be satisfied and say, praise God, let's go eat brunch. But there's more to it. There's so much more to it. In addition to those wonderful truths, the resurrection also guarantees that our work for God is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because He is the victor and we are victors with Him, the things that we do in His name, the way we serve Him and serve others, that's not in vain. He's going to bring good things out of that. There is ultimate hope. He guarantees our work is not in vain. Fourth, he, the resurrection guarantees that our witness is true. Go back to verse 12 of this same chapter. And here Paul is kind of uh, addressing the argument, well, what if Christ didn't rise from the dead? What would would be the consequences of that? So in verse 12 he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ uh, is not risen. And now if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. You see, if there's no resurrection, there's no ultimate victory over death and sin. It's like a person who is running in a race, and they have ran well. They're in front all the way, and they come up to the finish line and stop. They don't cross the finish line. Well, then they're not victorious. They haven't made it, no matter how well they have ran. And so without the resurrection, Paul is saying, we're still in our sins if the resurrection didn't really happen. So, uh, verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only... We have hope in Christ. We are of all men most pitiable. This is all that there is to life is this life. Think about that. How depressing that would be. That this is all that there is. We are of all men most pitiable, he says, if that's true. But verse 20, 
But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Without the resurrection, I have no message today. Without the resurrection, none of us would be here today or any Sunday if it wasn't for the first resurrection Sunday. So it guarantees that our witness is true, that the message of the cross is true and the message of the resurrection is true, that Christ indeed is risen from the dead. And because of this, number five, it guarantees our own resurrection. Again, at verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And the fallen asleep is just a, a euphemism for those who have died. He is the first fruits of those who have already died. The first fruits means reminds us that He leads the way. He is the one who paved the way to heaven, who opened the door to heaven by His death and His resurrection. He leads the way, and those who have known Him but have died will follow Him there. And we too, who believe in Him, one day will follow Him there because of that. He is the first fruits of those who have died. Verse 21, For since by man came death, this means by Adam, by the sin of Adam in the garden, by man came death. By man, meaning the Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, firstfruits afterward those who are Christ at his coming. So when he comes back at his coming, those who, of us who are alive and uh, remain at that moment will also be called into heaven and have new resurrected bodies as we'll see in just a moment. It not only guarantees our resurrection, it guarantees us a new glorified body. What will we be like in the resurrection? Well, the Apostle Paul addresses that as well, starting in verse 50 of this chapter. Now this I say, brethren, that Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So you can't go to heaven in your present body. It's corruptible. It, it's not fit for heaven. It won't last. And uh, because it's corruptible, it can't go into incorruptible heaven. It won't make it. You're not going to be able to keep that beautiful body you have. But you get to have another one, even more beautiful than the one you presently occupy. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I, I tell you a mystery, he says. This is something that has not been disclosed up to this time, but is now being told us. And surely we should... We should take this verse and um, emblazon it on a plaque and put it on our nursery downstairs. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great sign over the nursery? So, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. But what does this mean for us? We, 
We might not all die before Christ comes back. Now, certainly millions and millions of people have already died, but what if He came back today and we're still alive? So we shall not all die is what that means before He comes back. But everybody's going to be changed, whether their body is in the grave and decaying or whether it's alive and decaying. All bodies are going to be changed. We shall all be changed. And what's that change going to be? It, well, it's going to happen instantly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in a nanosecond, Paul might say in current vernacular, in a nanosecond, it's going to happen at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound <clears throat> the trumpet of his coming again. That trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. The people who are already dead and in their graves, Christ will raise them up incorruptible with perfect bodies that can never die, can never be damaged, can never decay, can never have anything wrong with them. He will raise those bodies to be new incorruptible bodies. For the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we too will be changed in the same way. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Can never die. Can never even be damaged. It will be like the Lord's resurrected body. Remember when the disciples saw the Lord after his resurrection, he passed through the walls. But he had a real body because he was able to eat food with them. And this is really good news for me because I believe I'll be able to eat all the chocolate cake I want and not gain a pound. This new incorruptible body I can't destroy with too much cake. Uh, uh, the, um, the new bodies that we will be able to have will be able to be transported like his body was transported. It will be like Christ's resurrection body, immortal. So, verse 54, so when this happens, when this corruptible body that I have puts on incorruption and this mortal body that you have puts on immortality, that's when shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So he's already won the victory now. It's already sealed, right? It's already done. But we haven't experienced it fully yet. One day we will know the fullness of that victory in the resurrection. In addition to these wonderful truths about the significance of the resurrection for us, there's uh, the significance of the resurrection for our Savior. What does it say about Him? Well, number seven... It demonstrates that Jesus is God. By His resurrection, it's one of the proofs that He is God. Mark 14, in uh, the trial before Pilate and before the um, uh, high priest. So this is earlier in the high priest trial. Uh, and, and they were questioning him he kept silent and answered nothing and again the high priest asked him saying are you the Christ 
meaning the Messiah. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. What a marvelous answer just in one word in Greek, I am. And it reminds us of Exodus 3 when Moses said, Whom shall I say sent me? Tell them the I am, Yahweh, sent you. The great I am. So Jesus simply answers, I am. And he could have ended there. He could have just said, I am the Christ. But he goes on to say, and here's going to be the proof of it. That's what the rest of this verse is about. Here's the proof that I am the Son of God, the Christ. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. They are about to crucify him. And he says, one day you will see me sitting at the right hand of the throne of of God, coming in clouds of glory. Demonstrates that he is God. Number eight, the resurrection proclaims that Jesus proclaims Jesus as the divinely appointed judge of the world. Who has the right to judge mankind? Only Him. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is in Athens and uh, talking to the philosophers there. And he says, Truly, these times of, of ignorance God has overlooked, but He now commands all men everywhere to repent because... He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. That one day God is going to judge all the world and he's going to judge through Christ. That's the the man of righteousness whom he has ordained to be the judge of all the world. As John 5 puts it, the reason for Christ being the judge is because he was the son of man and he knows what it is to be in a body and to be tempted like we are, yet he was without sin. And so the, he is to judge the whole world and the assurance that he is a judge of all the world is his resurrection from the dead. Number nine, the resurrection is the beginning of his exaltation as Lord and Christ, as, a, as God's appointed king and prophet and priest on the heavenly throne. Now, Jesus was and is God. He was God from the very beginning. In the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ the Word always existed. He's the second person of the Trinity. So this is not making him God, but it is declaring his deity and exalting him to this position of God's appointed king and prophet and priest. We see this on the day of Pentecost as uh, Peter is given a sermon in Jerusalem and we have part of that sermon in your outline from Acts 2. It says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. Now the patriarch David was their most celebrated uh, historical figure, perhaps akin to Moses. David and Moses were the, the big two. He says, let me remind you about David, that he is both dead and buried, 
and his tomb is with us to, till today. So that great King David is still in his tomb. Every year, um, countless numbers of Muslims go to Mecca to the tomb of uh, Muhammad. And they wonder why we would make a trek to Jerusalem. Because the tomb that we go to is empty. They go to one that's still occupied. So I wonder, why do you still go to one that's occupied? We go to one that's empty because he's not in the tomb anymore. He has raised from the dead. But David and all other men that are still in their tomb to this day. Peter goes on, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. That is, God promised through David the Messiah would come through his lineage. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor his flesh would his flesh see corruption. That's from Psalm 16. Uh, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. By the way, a number of times the the apostles talked about being witnesses, and First uh, Corinthians fifteen says there were five hundred witnesses in one day, and it would have been easy to dispel that notion that there were witnesses if it hadn't happened. But no one ever comes forward to say no that. That testimony is not true. That witness is not true. But they boldly spoke about this. We are witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear, meaning what was happening on the day of Pentecost. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So the resurrection is the beginning of his exaltation as Lord and Christ, the appointed king and prophet and priest. Number 10, it is the sign that God was satisfied with Jesus' death. Jesus fully met all the requirements to pay for our sin. And the resurrection serves as the sign, the indication that God the Father was fully satisfied with the payment that Jesus made on the cross. The resurrection is the Father's amen to Christ it is finished. Romans 8, 32-34 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. 
So the risen Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And every time our enemy, Satan, would come to the throne and try to say, well, look at John, or look at Gary, or look at so-and-so again. They've sinned again. And Jesus would say, yes, but I paid for that sin. And he intercedes for us. That he could do that is a sign that God has fully accepted as satisfaction the death of Christ for our sin. No other offering would be acceptable to God. No other offering but this. And so you cannot come to God with a, an alternate plan. Well, God, you know, I, I tried to be good. I, I had a lot of good things that I did. How about you accept those if, if they kind of outweigh my bad things? No. Even one sin marks you as unqualified to be in heaven. And the only way to be able to get there is through the righteousness of Christ that He gives to all who put their faith and trust in Him. The resurrection shows that God the Father was satisfied with the full payment of Christ for our sin. Number 11, it, the resurrection demonstrates God's power. Philippians 3.10 says, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Paul knew that being like Christ would involve all these things, but he speaks of the resurrection as the power of the resurrection, the power of resurrection in me, working in me, that I might know that kind of power. The same kind of power that God used to raise Christ from the dead Paul says, oh, that I might know that kind of power in my life so that I can be Christ-like. Colossians 2.12 Having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. The resurrection demonstrates the power of God. It's, it's interesting that as the exhibit A of the power of God, he does not point to the miracles of Christ, but to the resurrection. If you really want to know about the power of God on display, it is the resurrection. And finally, the resurrection assures believers that they are raised to new spiritual life right now. Look at Romans chapter 6. In verse 1, Paul is bringing up a question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? For the sake of having more grace, should we sin more? And he says, well, that's a silly way to think of things. And he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now, he's not talking here about water baptism, 
but about the idea of spiritual baptism being placed into Christ. Baptized, the word baptizo just means to be placed into. So when you die to yourself, you're placed into Christ. And uh, verse 4, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So, the resurrection assures that believers are raised to new spiritual life, and not just something in the future that we hope to have a better life someday, but to new spiritual life now, that we should be walking in, in, the, in the Spirit now, and... Uh, with old life dead, new life alive to God. That the old man who was crucified with Christ. Was your old man crucified with Christ? Or is he still hanging on there? Are you still feeding him and encouraging him? That our old man was crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be done away that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You are either, as Paul goes on to say in this same chapter, a slave to sin or a slave to God for righteousness. Because of the resurrection, we have new life now and the hope of eternal life forever. Well, how about you? Do you have new life now? This is why the cantata was singing about the, the passion of Christ. The, the grace that was extended to us through the cross. That Christ died for our sins. And he was raised again for our justification. If you've never placed your faith in the finished work of Christ, I plead with you to do that today. Then this Resurrection Sunday is really going to mean something to you. Because it will be your Resurrection Sunday too. And for those of us who have already done that, we've placed our faith in Him, what a glorious day this is. Because we know that we not only have life now, but eternal life to come. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank You for these uh, sacred truths of the significance of the Resurrection. These and many more of which we had no time to mention today. But Lord, through your, your power, you are able to do this, to overcome sin and death and the grave for us. And we celebrate that, Lord. We joy and glory in you, our life and light, our salvation and hope. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who has not placed their, their hope in you, if they're not resting fully upon you, for salvation that they would understand the need today and accept the full freedom the gift of life of grace that you offer because you died and rose and for us who know you Lord we, we just want to 
praise you for this great gift. And we pray that this life that we live will be in honor of you, that we would indeed walk in newness of life and not serve self or sin, but serve you to bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.